Today on Living Truth Radio, Pastor Michael Lance is in Genesis chapter 46 with a message entitled, Preservation and Reunion. In today's message, God assures Jacob that he will be with him on his journey to Egypt to reunite with his son, Joseph. We tonight are in Genesis 46, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 46. We're going to look at a message called Preservation and Reunion as we have now seen Joseph reveal himself to his brothers. I am Joseph. I'm alive. And one of the first things that he says to his brothers is, how is my father? And dad is going to get an update uh, as they head back with the wagons from Egypt and, you know, uh, the blessings of Pharaoh. They're going to head back and share with dad that Joseph is alive and he still lives And for the last 22 years, if you can imagine as a parent, as a father, having 22 years where you uh, had not seen your boy, you thought he was dead, you thought he was gone, and you found out that he lives. Now we find from the biblical record that uh, Jacob at this point is 130 years old, so traveling is probably not at the top of his list, but... He is told that um, his son is alive. He is the viceroy of Egypt and that he wants to really see his dad. So they're about to pack the wagons and head back. And we're going to get into a little bit of Jacob's odyssey now as he is going to cross the border of the promised land for the first time in his life. He's going to leave Canaan and head to see his lost son that is actually alive. All right, we're in Genesis 46, verse 1. So Israel set out. Now, he was told about the fact that Joseph is alive. He's told that he needs to go see his son. And so Israel, which is the new name of Jacob. Remember, Jacob was a conniver, and his name literally meant heel catcher. And when he was born, he grabbed onto the heel of his brother. Remember that? Kind of a picture of his whole life. But he was renamed Israel. And I told you that the name of Israel, I'm pretty convinced that the name of Israel is best defined as God prevails. Some people say it means governed by God, and that may well be. But I think it's pretty safe to say that it has a meaning like God prevails. And so Israel set out, and God was prevailing over this whole story with all that he had. And he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to God, to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, remember, we have the patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Eventually, from Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the story of the Bible that we really need to understand. And here is Jacob. He's been renamed Israel, and now he's going to set out for Egypt. Egypt will be the place where Israel actually grows into an incredible nation. At this point, we're going to learn that they are only 70 to 75 people. And it's about 215 years ago that God first spoke to Abram, and Abram left Ur of the Chaldees. He left paganism and idolatry to follow the true God. It's been 215 years, and they've only grown from one man, or if you want to include Sarai, a man and a woman, to 70 to 75. I'll tell you the difference in those numbers in a second. In 215 years, in 430 years in Egypt, they will leave Egypt, get this, 
with 600,000 foot soldiers plus women and children in about double the time they will grow to about 2 million people and they will grow in a pagan nation in the land of Egypt sometimes we wonder where's the best places we can grow right where can I flourish the best I always like to flourish where I'm most comfortable amen like, I, I, I'm good, I'll grow right here, Lord. I, I, I like it right here. But you know what? Our greatest growth doesn't always happen behind the walls of the church. Have you noticed? For a lot of us, this is kind of our Canaan. This is our little place of comfort, right? We even have our seats marked out. And if you have a seat, I, I heard a, a guy and he was saying that... Um, he was a public school teacher and God had really given him a heart for kids and he said that he had this method and what he would do is he would say okay in my class I don't assign seating what I do is I let you pick your seat and tomorrow if you come back and you want to sit somewhere else that's fine with me and the kids are like oh Mr. So-and-so is so cool you can sit wherever you want in his class so day one they come and they kind of scope out their seat on day two they would move around he said, after day two, they would never move again. <laughs> he said, people are such creatures of habits that these students would find the desk on day two and they would never move again. And that's pretty much how we are. You really get challenged when you come in on a Sunday morning and someone sits in your seat, don't you? It's a real test of the fruit of the Spirit. You kind of almost silently say to them, do you not know who I am? <laughs> This is my seat. Oh, no, it's not. Anyway. So Israel set out with all that he had. He came to Beersheba. Um, some of you are familiar with the phrase from Dan to Beersheba. And here's where this comes from. Dan is the northernmost part of Israel. For those of you who are going to go to Israel with us, Dan is on the Syrian border. In fact, you get a chance if we kind of retrace the steps that we took at our last trip, which was 10 years ago, that there's basically a rickety fence between you and the Syrian. <laughs> and uh, they'll, they'll point out buildings and what's there, but I'm not going to ruin the surprise for you. But anyway, Dan is the uppermost northern part where you head into Syria. Beersheba is the last outpost before you cross the desert to Egypt. And so this is where he comes. He is moving south. Remember, he's moving from Canaan, which is modern Israel, down south to Egypt, right? So he's never left the promised land, to my knowledge of Scripture. And he comes to Beersheba. And notice what he does. He offers, his, he offers sacrifices to God. Sacrifices are plural there to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, he's heading out. Everything that he has and he's leaving the promised land. And I would imagine that as someone who's 130 and pretty set in your ways and pretty comfortable where you are, that you might have some questions for God, like, is this really what you want me to do? It's awesome that my son is alive. I do desperately want to see him. But should I cross this border? Should I leave the promised land? The land that you promised to my grandpa and to my dad? He comes to a place called Beersheba. By the way, Beersheba means 
If you look up in a Hebrew lexicon, it actually means well of the seven or well of the oath. And it was there at Beersheba that Abram made an oath with, I think it was Abimelech. And uh, that's, that's recorded back in um, ex, uh, excuse me, Genesis 21. You can write down verses 27 through 34. And there was a debate over a well. And uh, Abram, you know, expressed his concern over the well. They made a treaty together there. And it says that Abram planted a tamarisk tree, which was a symbol of fruitfulness and prosperity. He memorialized God as the source of his prosperity in the land of Beersheba. So Beersheba, again, the place of the oath or the well of the seven. Seven is the number of completion or perfection in the Bible. And so off goes Jacob. He's put everything that he has. All of his earthly possessions are on these wagons or carts that the Pharaoh has sent to him to come into Egypt. Interestingly enough, it's the Pharaoh that supplies the uh, travel accommodations to get Israel into Egypt. And ultimately, it will be the Pharaoh that has to deal with the exit of Israel out of Egypt. And he will end up chasing them on chariots, remember, and then God will deal with him. So it is kind of ironic that the Pharaoh of the time brings them in. And there was a prophecy given to Grandpa, to Abram. God said to Abram, this is Genesis 15, 13, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Genesis 15, 13. I am sure that Jacob knew about that prophecy. And so if he was putting two and two together, he may have been thinking, should we go into this land? Should I lead this young nation of only 70 or 75 people into this foreign land? What is in this foreign land? Paganism, a pharaoh, a very powerful nation, a polytheistic nation, a place where my family could be corrupted, where my sons may end up being corrupted or even intermarrying with these people, or at least, at least the grandsons would. And so Beersheba becomes a significant stopping point where sacrifices are offered to God. Uh, some scholars believe that the sacrifices here are not necessarily burnt offerings. They're more like thank offerings. God is thanking God for Joseph still being alive. And we've all kind of paused at some of those places where maybe an altar was built or we, we memorialized a place. I believe it's even in Beersheba where Isaac built an altar to God. And, you know, we, we kind of do some business with God. And I think part of what Jacob was probably doing was saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for my son being alive, but also maybe asking God for direction. Like, should I do this? And it's always important when we get a piece of news or we have to make a major change in our lives that we seek the Lord. And we can't just assume that we do that. Sometimes, you know, we don't spend enough time in prayer over things and we can get ourselves in trouble. And so I think this is what Jacob is doing. He's offering sacrifices to God. Um, he sets out, but he, he stops here at this place of the oath or the well of the seven. And he offered sacrifices, notice plural, to the God of his father, uh, Isaac. You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. 
Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. Trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. In response, as he offered these sacrifices, God spoke to Israel. Look at verse 2. In visions, plural, of the night. And he said, with the double call, we've seen this in the life of Samuel. We see this when Saul, who became Paul, was first called. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, right? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And in one of Saul's testimonies in the book of Acts, he says, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he says, what would you have me to do? Get up and you'll be told what you should do. Jacob, Jacob, God says to him, he offers sacrifice, he gives thanks, he seeks the Lord and God speaks to him. And this is a, this is a principle for us that I think we all need to hold on to because we all have these questions about when a question is before us, when we're on the verge of trying to make a big decision or maybe considering a move, what do we do? How do we know God's will? How should we navigate such things? They, they seem to be awfully gray many times in the Bible. Well, I think we can assume that Jacob was asking for direction, and God did speak to him. He said, Jacob, Jacob, he said, here I am. Uh, this is the, the response that's often seen by people that God calls to. He calls to them, and they say, here I am. Uh, Samuel was instructed by Eli the next time he calls you, just say, here I am. Your servant is, what? Listening. Isn't that a great response? That's what we should say God, to God more. We should say to God more, your servant is, not talking, listening. Now, God likes to hear us pray, which is amazing to me. <laughs> but I think he also wants us to listen. Sometimes he'll speak to your heart. Sometimes he'll prompt you. Sometimes a scripture will leap off the page. Sometimes somebody will send you an email at the proper time. There's a whole host of ways that God does speak to us, but God is going to speak to Jacob, and he's going to give him an assurance here um, that I think is important for us to see. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Look at verse 3. And he says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. So God gives him a direct answer. I think we can infer from verse 3 that Jacob was afraid, that Jacob was asking questions, and God answered the question on his heart. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Would you turn in your Bible to Isaiah 43? I want to show you a beautiful section that should encourage us all. God has got a detail. He knows our name. He knows he's named all the stars. Even in the Milky Way galaxy alone, there's something between like 200 to 400 billion stars just in our galaxy alone. Did you hear that? 200 to 400 billion stars just in our galaxy alone. And God calls them all by name. And he knows your name and he knows my name. And he says in Isaiah 43, a little later after he talks about the stars in Isaiah 40, he says, 43, 1, But now, thus says the Lord your creator, O Jacob, 
Isaiah 43.1. I'm the one that started this whole thing with the nation. This is much later, way after Jacob's life has ended. He says, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, Isaiah 43.1, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Some of you need to mark that. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. Don't be afraid. I do want you to go to this place. The bigger uh, lesson here, if you turn back to Genesis 46, is that God was in control. God was the one putting all these things together. It wasn't you that sent me here, Joseph said to his brothers. It was God. It was God four times, remember? It was God. It was God. God is sovereign. God is providential. James Montgomery Boyce, who's gone home to be with the Lord, says, God is always more eager to answer than we are to ask. He is always more eager to guide than we are to follow. One more time. God is always more eager to answer than we are to ask and more eager to guide than we are to follow. And he said, don't be afraid. Go down to Egypt for I will make you a great nation there. Now, if you like to bullet point um, your notes here, this is what God has been uh, promising all along. He's going to give four reasons why Jacob doesn't need to be afraid. Number one, if I am in verse three, is I will make you a great nation there. I will do what I promised to Abram, that your descendants will be as the stars of the sky or the sand of the seashore. God is always true to his promises. Don't be afraid to go because I'm going to make a great nation. Do you remember when Peter was up on the rooftop and he was in Joppa and uh, he saw that sheet come down and then the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, don't be afraid to go with those men. And Peter actually entered into a Gentile house. It was the house of Cornelius. And he said, you know that me being a Jew, this is not kosher, baby. <laughs> right? This is not cool for me to enter a Gentile dwelling. But God has taught me not to despise or look down on, on people. And uh, he was assured by God, you go ahead and go. Reason number two is found in verse 4, Genesis 46, 4. I will go down with you to Egypt. You can go because I'm going to make you a great nation there, the nation of Israel indeed. And you can go because I'm going with you. Moses said in Exodus 33, verse 15, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't lead us up from here, Lord. You know, I've come to a point in my Christian life where this is, this is a prayer, whether I always state it or not, this is my heart. Lord, if you're not going to be there or you're not leading, then please keep me from doing anything dumb. Keep me from doing anything stupid. Keep me from getting ahead of you. Keep me from lagging behind you. If you don't go, Moses says, I don't want to go. It's in that same chapter that Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. The third reason that he could trust in the Lord's promises here and he could go to Egypt, look at verse four. He says, I will also surely bring you up again. 
I will surely bring you up again. Bring you up where? I think to the promised land. And this was not just a prophecy about the people. Israel would come to the land of Canaan through the deliverance of Moses. But who was the one that ultimately led them into the promised land? Joshua. Moses brought them to the border of the promised land, but it was Joshua, who's the Hebrew form of the Greek name, Jesus, who brings them into the promised land, right? And even that was quite a battle. But this prophecy also applied directly to Jacob because Jacob, Jacob's bones would be carried back to the promised land. You could write down uh, Genesis 50, verses 13 and 14, where they bury uh, Jacob in the family plot. And by the way, when Jacob leaves Canaan to go to Egypt and the family will be there for some 400 plus years, the only land they own in Canaan, in Israel, is the burial plot of their family. They don't own another inch of land. Isn't that amazing? They have the promises of God and the promises of God are yes and amen, right? But they don't really own any land except for a little cemetery. And that's what's going on. The fourth reason, and this is, had to be incredible for uh, Jacob to hear at Beersheba, the Lord adds, Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. You know, he thought Joseph was dead. And for him to hear that when you leave this planet, the son that you thought you lost is going to close your eyes in death. Can you imagine what that meant to his heart? Now look, I know we have a, a room of people who are mixed in age here. I don't know how much of you spend time thinking about a deathbed experience and how you might depart this planet. But you know what? To imagine that this son that he thought he had lost would close his eyes in death was amazing. And by the way, when Jacob finally arrives and has this great reunion with Joseph, do you know that Jacob ends up living 17 more years? He gets to spend 17 years with the son that he thought he lost. And just by the way, this is cool. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. And I was thinking, you know, the Lord says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. And I think it's a beautiful thing just to contemplate. You know, Jacob had spent a lot of time saying, my gray hairs are going to go to down to Sheol and sorrow. It seems like every time you hear a record of Jacob speaking after Joseph was sold into slavery, but he thought he was dead. He's always talking about death. I'm going down to the grave with my gray hairs and all. Anybody speak like this? Anybody in your family talk that way? You know, I'm going down. Some of us, I've earned every one of these gray hairs, baby. <laughs> going down to Sheol with them. Well, don't take any of us with you, right? So Jacob arose from Beersheba, verse 5, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. I was, I'm wondering, you know, how Jacob's heart must have leapt when he thought, you know what, I'm going to see this boy again and I'm going to see his face before I exit this planet. Um, just a beautiful promise. And so, Jacob was carried along by the products of Egypt and off he goes heading to the promised land. 
It seems that verse 5, verse 5 confirms that Jacob was looking for a direct answer from God. Jacob arose from Beersheba and he took off. He received it and arose from Beersheba to go down to Egypt. This was a major change, but God was leading and going with him. Again, James Montgomery Boyce providing some helpful insight. He says, quote, You may be on the verge of a major change and you may be uncertain about it, even fearful. If so, do not take a step until you seek God's face. Ask him to show you the direction you should go. If God is silent, remain where you are. If he speaks, go forth boldly and fear nothing. He will be with you not only in Egypt, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. Close quote. I think when we're wrestling with decision-making, this is what we do. We ask God, and if God is silent, then don't move. Don't take God's silence for an answer, <laughs> right? Which is a mistake that we make. Maybe the Lord, maybe that silence means this. Maybe it just means God saying, just wait. Pastor Michael, I know that when I'm at church, I feel loved. I'm with family. I'm in a familiar setting. But when I go out into the world, I want to believe that God's promises and assurances are still with me. Chapter 46, we see God talking to Israel. He assures him, go down to the land that I want you to go to, and I will be with you. And he is reiterating the promises that he made to Abraham and so on. How can we apply this to ourselves? How can we know that God is always with us in a familiar setting? Sure. Well, Oscar, I think you said something key there. You said God reiterates promises. He does so to Abram, then to Isaac, then to Jacob. And he says, I will be with you. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. And one of the ways that we can continue to walk by faith is to walk in the promises. I've heard of people having a little promise box where they have scriptures written down. And when they're going through dark times or valleys or question marks or feel like, man, I'm going down to Egypt. Is God going to be down here as much as he would be in the promised land? I think the good news is that God says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And he really reiterates his promises to us. He's given us the promise of his Holy Spirit. And I think day in and day out, Oscar, he continues to reiterate to us in our hearts, you belong to me. I've given you the promise of my Holy Spirit. I'm not going anywhere. I will never leave you or forsake you. And in the Egypts that we go through, which is sometimes, you know, we can feel that way at work. Sometimes it's, we feel that way even with family. Um, there's a lot of situations in life where we feel like we're in foreign territory in, you know, uh, unfamiliar land. God, are you going to be here? Are you going to meet my needs? Are you going to supply, you know, all that's needed there? And the awesome thing about God and the application I hear, I think here from chapter 46 is that, yes, I'm going to be with you and I will make good to my promises. So brother or sister, saint that's out there that's listening right now, and those of you who may not know what it means to have these promises to live by, my encouragement to you is trust in the Lord Jesus because he is true to his promises. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.